Let's pray together. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit will be with us and among us and speaking to us through song, scripture, sermon, community gathered, through hearing prayers and scriptures read in many languages, we might be awakened and opened to your bigness, your beauty, your call to your people everywhere to be those faithful tenants who do the work of love in our season. This is our prayer in the name of the one sent to show us the height and depth of your love, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We live in a culture that celebrates the notion that each one of us is for ourselves. We live in a culture that really invites and encourages a sense of self-centeredness and self-focus. A culture that says, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, for it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And so, uh, the church, on a day such as today, offers an alternative word. We come into this unique place. We sing the songs of faith. We dress differently in order to hear a tune our hearts to an alternate word. The word is this. Is the message of the gospel really good news? Or is it a great nuisance? The gospel is this. That your life is not your own. That you were made by God to live in communion and in community with your neighbor and with all of creation. It's why we're here, and it's our ultimate purpose in life. The Bible tells us this in countless ways. From the very beginning, you can find it in even the most obscure of places. Third book of the Bible, Leviticus, often one we skip over for us, filled with all kinds of rules and prohibitions that seem outdated. But in and amidst all of the Levitical laws is the one that says to us, don't harvest your fields, you farmers. Don't harvest your fields all the way to the edges. Don't harvest the corners. Save those for others who have need, for those who are passing by and are hungry, for you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're connected. We're connected. Jesus said it this way. It's in, on the banner behind me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Have this connection with me where the sacred energy of love can flow to you and through you, and you can bear much fruit. But without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I'm connected to God. We're all connected to each other, he said. Let the flow begin. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it. You are the body of Christ. We're all on the same team. No matter who we are here this day, everyone has a role. Some of you are eyes, some of you are hands, some of you are ears, some of you are noses, and some of you are finalists for the rear end of the body of Christ. But it's all important in this work of love. It's all important. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, said to his followers before he ascended into heaven, Receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. My breath is your breath. 
this communion of the spirits between the sacred, the holy one, and each one of us together is absolutely at the center of the life and teachings of the Bible and the life and teachings of Jesus. Jesus once told a parable about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell among the robbers. The robbers had the attitude of what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. They left him half dead on the side of the road. Along came religious people, uh, leaders who didn't want to uh, dirty their hands, and so they passed by on the other side with the attitude of what's mine is mine and I will keep it. But then there came a man who felt the connection, who knew the, the unity that people have with each other, and he picked up the man, bound up his wounds, put him on his donkey, and took him to the inn as if to say, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. It is all through the life and work and teaching of Jesus, this sense of world communion. This can feel like marriage, I suppose, and it depends on how you look at it. It can either be confining, restricting, or comforting and revolutionary. It can either feel like the two shall be one, and that means I only get a half, I'm less. Or it can mean the two shall become one, and we are stronger together than we are apart. The parable this morning is about those who lived in a spirit of fear and scarcity. It's a story of the tenants who rejected their communion with the owner, with God. They were ungrateful for this opportunity to use that which they had not created, that which they did not own, the land, the fences, the press, the tower. They wanted to hoard it all for themselves. They denied that there was any connection between them and the landowner, between them and the land and what the land produced and what the world needed. And so they presumed to act as if somehow if we could just get rid of the owner or the heir to the owner, it would all be ours. If you have a Bible that is broken up into little sections with titles, oftentimes this parable is titled The Parable of the Wicked Tenant. But it could be just as easily titled The Parable of a Culture Without a Sense of the Sacred. It could be a parable about you or me. Jesus Christ came into this world to tell us these stories, to embody them with his life so that we could see the possibility of the power and the purpose and the deep peace that might come if we would live in communion with God and each other and our true and best selves. And he came to do it in such a way so as to say, you can do this too. He never said, worship me. What he said was, follow me. Live this life. Go this way. Be this person. Be this community. This is indeed God's dream. This generous, self-giving spirit, what we now call the way of Jesus, is the way that we're called to live and go, not in order to impress or to buy off, or to assuage our guilt, or to feel important, or to score points, but rather simply as our connection to God is deepened. 
We feel, we know, we just intuit the connection that we have to all of creation. And so I think of the tale of Abe and Timmy. Abe was an old man. He had moved in with his son in the big city. He was lonely and feeling worthless and decides to find a church where he might go and try to reorient himself. But on his way toward the church, he got lost, lost, completely and utterly lost. And so he stops a little boy who's walking down the way named Timmy, age seven, and says, could you help me find the church? It's right around here. I said, Timmy, I'm on my way to the church right now. You can come with me. He said, I'm on my way to church because I want to talk to God about the fact that my mother and father are in the midst of a divorce. I'll go with you, said Abe. Maybe God can give me some understanding about my own life, too. And as they walked side by side, Timmy began to talk with Abe about the pain he was feeling, the responsibility he was feeling. He began to cry about his mother and father and what was facing their family Finally, Abe could take it no more. He stopped the little boy right there on the sidewalk, held his face in his hands and said, Timmy, I can't tell you why bad things happen like this, but I can tell you this. I know that you're going to be okay. Later, when Timmy made it home, his mother asked him about the day, and he said, well, I met a man on the way to the church. She said, you talked to him? She said, I did talk to him. I think he was God. She said, did he tell you it was God? Well, no, said Timmy. But when he touched my face and he told me I was going to be okay, I could feel in my body that he was right. And I think only God can do that. At the same time, Abe was getting back to his son's apartment He said, I met God at church today. The son said, well, that's good. I guess that's where God would live. He said, but God came to me in this way. He sent me a boy that allowed me to know that my life still has a purpose. We have no idea the connections that we might make, the possibilities that are just right there on our doorstep. Here's a tragic story. I just found out right before this service that last week at this very service at 11 o'clock, there was a young man here, an angry young man, a man who was um, greatly disturbed and living in the park nearby, the man who later in the week was the person who killed young Ray. He sat among us last Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. We have no idea the possibilities of bearing the love of Christ. Now, some would say, that's a good reason not to go to church. But others would say, that's the very reason we go, to be part of what God dreams for the world. Jesus said it like this, Those who lose their lives will find it. Those who lose their lives will find it. He wasn't just giving us some weird riddle that's impossible to solve. What he's saying is those who lose the ego life, 
The life that says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is yours, and I'll take it. Those who live into their true selves will find their lives, they'll find God, they'll find what God dreams for this world. Paul said to the Philippians, I see my whole life differently now. All these things that I accomplished before, I was the best Jew you could ever be. I could do it all. I was the number one guy. All of that, he said, I count as sewer trash, rubbish, compared to finding who I am, knowing Christ, knowing this way, being part of this work. It makes everything else pale in comparison. Richard Rohr says that we, in our culture, would far too often choose some kind of trumped-up competition over real cooperation, that we would rather enter into a race like a NASCAR race where only one person wins rather than allow God to win with everyone, everyone. And Rohr says, this is a good definition of hell. There's a tale of a man who was granted a glimpse of both heaven and hell. The first scene that he entered into was a long banquet hall, beautifully set with china, silverware, candles, lavish with food and drink. And people seated, seated, well-dressed, seated across from each other and as far as you could see down this long, single table. Then he noticed that all the people had their elbows locked. They were unable to move their elbow at all. And he realized, this is hell. For no matter how much food there was, no matter how much food they could grasp in their hands or on their spoon, they could never feed themselves. And they were starving to death. The next scene he was taken to expected to be quite different, but it turned out to be exactly the same. The long, straight uh, table, lavishly set, beautiful setting, all the people lined up, their elbows locked in just the same way, only this was heaven. And in heaven, those who had their arms locked could get food on their spoon and were able across the table or to their left or right to feed each other. For you see, we're connected. We're connected to God. We're connected to each other. We're connected to this creation. And when we're connected, we're connected to our true selves. Seen in this light, everything takes on a new timber. Pledging isn't just about collecting money. It's about an invitation to see life in a bigger way. To discover that it's good news, not a great nuisance, to be connected to each other. Seen in this light, it's an invitation to, for us to serve in the church and turn money into ministry as good news that is something bigger than ourselves. Seen in this light, it's an invitation to find that sacred rhythm that creates a world communion that finally is the hope of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.